0: Engine sequence time. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running, commit, flip-off.
1: Hey, welcome to SWAT Radio. This is Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It is Thursday, December 3rd. 2020, hard to believe, Thursday, December 3rd, and I'm glad you've joined us today, whether you're listening up in uh, Virginia on The Lighthouse in Meridian, Mississippi on WMER or here in Florida on The Truth or up in Folkestone, Georgia on The Truth. We're so glad that you have joined us. Today is guest day, and we are having a familiar guest. She, She has been on here several times, and we have gotten really, really good feedback And I want to tell you, you can go to YouTube and check out her YouTube channel, which has a lot of good information about COVID-19 and uh, Dr. Christy Reisinger, who's a friend of um, the Brawners, who are real good friends. They've been on here too. But uh, Dr. Reisinger, welcome back to SWAT Radio.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back.
1: How are you faring out in the Texas area with COVID? How's it going out there?
2: Well, you know, after an initial slump in numbers and we were all thinking, you know, things were looking good, um, we all have obviously concerns after the Thanksgiving holiday. I mean, I think we're sort of seeing what everyone's seeing around the country, although I think our numbers are a little bit better than some of the other parts of the country, but we're sort of bracing ourselves for what's going to happen in this upcoming week or two. Really, we would start to see consequences of of gatherings, um, large gatherings about five to 14 days after it happens. So we're just starting to kind of move into that time, you know, from Thanksgiving. So, and we are seeing the numbers starting to increase for sure.
1: Well, you, you have been a great, source of information and i certainly have leaned on you in fact i don't know if you're a member uh but i texted you because my parents both got covid and uh, they are in their 80s they uh, they have medical conditions have hypertension and and some other things and they have both survived it uh it hit my mom really hard it was interesting because my mom and dad both got it Uh, And my mom got hit a lot harder than my dad. And that seems to be a pattern that I've talked to several people, um, you know, husbands, wives. And it's not a male-female thing. I mean, it's one spouse gets it and has very little symptoms. The other spouse gets it and has pretty severe symptoms. Are you seeing that out there as well?
2: We are. And isn't that God's grace? (laughs) I mean, you just wonder, like, okay, maybe that's just God's being kind to us, right? That both spouses aren't hit with just this terribleness. But I think probably part of it has to do with the fact that who initially got inoculated, like who got the initial, who had the initial infection because a lot of times what we're, what we're surmising and what we're thinking is that if you're exposed to a large bolus of vaccine, you know, and you don't, a lot of people won't know where that was. Someone coughed on you someone spoke at you you know that had covid-19 and maybe didn't know to know it maybe they were an asymptomatic carrier but there are some people that spew more viral particles than others mm-hmm. others so if if your mom received a higher inoculation of virus initially the thought is possibly that alone causes a more severe response and a more severe infection that's not always true but that's one of the theories as to as to why a husband and wife who potentially were in the same place and are doing the same thing why someone would have a more severe infection than another and then of course too, you kind of get into blood type and then you also get into obesity and high blood pressure and who's healthier than the other person typically men tend to have a more severe infection than women so
1: yeah that well that's what i thought and um and so You know, which leads me to the next question. Um, Now that we're kind of into the cold flu season, you get runny noses a lot because of cold weather. I mean, you know, people out in in and out of the weather and stuff. How can you tell if you have it or not? Because everybody kind of freaks out a little bit when they get a cough, which dry air can create uh, itself. Um, I know on your YouTube channel, you say, here's an easy way to know you don't have it. Um, so, yeah, so it's yeah. tell our listeners uh, how they can tell they don't have it.
2: Well, you know, that was, that's funny, Doug. That was one of the, I think that, was, that actually was my very first video that I did in March. And mm-hmm. we didn't know about asymptomatic carriers back then. Mm-hmm. And so I, I laughed. When I go, I mean a lot of that. For, that video, of course, has fine data, but some of it's outdated. But
0: yeah.
2: at at the time in which it first showed on the scene, we realized that a vast majority of people with COVID nineteen get a fever, mm-hmm. and I, I would still say that's it's that's true. I mean, if, although it can be low grade, you know, they were considering ninety nine and higher um a fever and some people would say that's not a true fever it's only a fever when it's higher you know it's 102 but I would say for adults you know a, a low grade fever um and headache headache really tends to be one of the main symptoms that I hear people talk about um so fever and a headache and you're so right like I, I, we're in this really weird time aren't we Where are like you're not allowed to be sick at all like you're not allowed to have allergies at all it's like you either have covid or you're completely well there's like nothing in between right yeah and it's just we're just in a just a really hard time we're just i don't know i hear you uh, yes runny noses and like a dry cough and you know it's just hard to know it's absolutely hard to know but i would say if you have a fever and a headache that those are and that's not that's not typical. That's, those are not typical signs. So I would say that that would help me to be more concerned about COVID for
1: sure. Well, uh, well, um, going to that, you know, about being asymptomatic, uh, is it true that recent studies have shown no evidence of asymptomatic transmission? In other words, if a person is asymptomatic, because I've heard about some studies that if they're asymptomatic they can't transmit. Is that true?
2: That is not true. That's okay. not true. And that's what's that's what's so interesting about this, right? It's I that is one thing I'll never understand. And I'm gonna ask the Lord when I see him in heaven. <laughs> it's like why what, what why are some people asymptomatic? And they definitely can give it to other people. And I definitely think that that is, well, that can't, well, asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic. So let's, let's, let me, let me pause and sort of clarify the two of those. So asymptomatic means that throughout your entire illness, throughout Uh that entire 10 days of transmissibility Uh with a COVID-19 infection, you don't ever have symptoms. Like none that you really even notice versus pre-symptomatic, whereas the 48 hours before you get symptoms, you can spread it to other people. Okay. So that is also a very large portion of how people are spreading it. It's like you don't know that you have COVID two days, the 48 hours prior to you coming down with symptoms, and that's another way that I think it's really spreading. So I think people may lump those both into one category, like asymptomatic and presymptomatic. Uh-huh. But they're, but they're they're different in a way. But both at both both that means you're, you're not symptomatic. But pre-symptomatic means that you do eventually develop symptoms.
1: Well, and, and I want to acknowledge that what you said earlier too that um, information has changed the more that you guys have been able to study and figure out things treatment and uh, different aspects that I mean uh, when we first had you on I I want to say it was back in March or April which um, you know that was a long time ago and a lot has happened with treatment of the virus with understanding the virus and um, you know one of the things that we still are dealing with oh is people are asking, can I get it twice? you know, like my parents, yeah, they've had it and and they're still concerned about getting it, and are they are they now immune now that they've had it? You know, uh, President Trump came out and he said, well, now I'm Superman, I'm kind of immune from it forever, and then people said, no, four months. So we don't know what what is the what are, what is the medical community saying right now about catching it again? After you've had it?
2: Yes. So you can get it twice. You are able to get it a second time. It's not very common that we know about. Mm-hmm. And a majority, well, and we just don't have very much data about it, but we do have a couple of cases where they were able to get very specific genetic they were able to code the virus on two separate occasions and know for sure that it was a different a different strain of the virus. The the virus let me let me pause and say the virus is mutating all the time. That's normal. Mm-hmm. That or that's what viruses do to survive. That doesn't mean that it's gonna become more virulent. It doesn't mean that it's gonna become less virulent. We don't, we don't really know. It's changing rather slowly from what we can tell. It's still, like I said, it's still a new virus. But
1: Hey, hey, well, Dr. Reisinger, hey, can we – we've got to go to our first break. Can we – I want to pick up on this because I I really want to talk about this because – there's several people I know that have had it, and I want I want this to yep. be on air. So, hey, you're listening to Dr. Christy Reisinger. She's got a great YouTube channel you can go to and find out more about coronavirus as well as some other things. So uh, join us when we come back from this first break. We're going to hear
3: back from her again on more on SWAT Radio. We'll be right back. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. Highway to Eternity Ministries is a ministry dedicated to encouraging those who have lost hope and coming alongside those who cannot find peace and are considered unfit for inclusion in Christ's church. They use published works to teach God's word and share encouraging testimonies of transformed lives. I'll be home for Christmas You can
0: plan
3: on me Please have snow And mistletoe And presents on
1: Christmas evil Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Sorry, got a a little uh, late intro there. But, hey, you're listening to uh, Dr. Christy Reisinger today. She's talking to us about COVID. And uh, Dr. Reisinger has been dealing with this. And uh, she's been our guest several times on SWAT Radio. And we wanted to have her back for kind of an update. And she was answering the question can you get COVID twice? And she said, yes, you can. They're, obviously, they're still learning about it, but go ahead and take us back, Dr. Reisinger. If somebody just joined us, she said, yes, you can get it twice. It's not common, but it has happened. And have, what is, re, have they found yep. any research about that at all? Sure.
2: Yeah. So let me, um, let me just, I pulled up the data that I used. To, I did a, actually a video on this um, on my YouTube channel, if y'all want to look at it at some point. But so what they, this came up because I had a teacher at our school who had had COVID over the summer and then was re-exposed to COVID over fall break and was wondering if she still needed to quarantine or if she could just come back to school. And unfortunately I had to tell her, look, unfortunately you've got a quarantine and this is why. So There have been a few small case studies that have come out to show that this is this is this this is true that people can get it twice. And let me talk about a couple of them. So, in August on August twenty fourth, a man um, that was traveling um, that lived in Hong Kong um, and had gotten um, was traveling back into Hong Kong and needed just a routine viral swab before coming into Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And he was found to be positive for a second time. He had gotten his first episode of COVID four months prior and had completely recovered. So his first infection caused the normal, the cough, fever, sore throat, headache, and his symptoms lasted for three days. That first infection was confirmed with a PCR test, which is kind of the gold standard. And then he subsequently had two negative COVID tests, 24 hours apart. And then 142 days later, as he was returning to Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. he had a routine screening and was found to be positive again with a PCR test. And he was totally asymptomatic. So he had definitely a second infection because they had proven that he was negative, you know, with gold standard testing. But then he tested a positive again, and they just assumed this was another infection. But... I'm so happy to say that his second infection, he was completely asymptomatic. It was just found because of routine screening, you know? Mm -hmm. Then there are also reports from Belgium and the Netherlands, Ecuador, and now even in the United States about reinfection that has occurred three weeks to four and a half months after the first documented COVID-19 infection. So three weeks is pretty close, but, and in each one of these cases, scientists were able to compare the virus's gene line, by using genetic sequencing. And they found that the viruses were slightly different, which helped them to know that this was truly a different infection with a different strain of the virus. You know what I mean? So, um, and the one that the United States case that was reported in the Lancet and it was a 25 year old healthy guy living in Nevada. And his first concurrent confirmed case was in April with cough, headache, nausea, diarrhea, he recovered he resolved his symptoms resolved he had two negative pcr tests documenting his recovery and then the second infection began in early june with similar symptoms but this time he actually developed a low oxygen level and shortness of breath and needed to be admitted to the hospital mm. so that's kind of i was i thought that was slightly alarming i thought i just assumed that when someone got it a second time, it would be like that man in Hong Kong, right? That yeah. he would have an asymptomatic infection or it would be super-duper mild. But then there's here's this outlier case, you know, of this man in Nevada, mm-hmm. which c- kind of made me pause and think, well, gosh, maybe that's not always, it's always true. So I wish I had a hard and fast rule. I wish I could say it went one and done. Yeah. Like, if you've had it once, you're never going to get it again. But I think it's going to be like the flu, right, where... That particular strain, that particular year, that particular timing, like you get it, yes, you recover, and then, but then the following year, it's like a whole other deal where you possibly could get it again.
1: Yeah, but, and, and, and then isn't also, we're the, also seeing. Well, isn't the coronavirus itself a, a cold virus? Isn't that what a yes. cold is? Oh, yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a virus, just yeah. like influenza is. Yeah. So, for sure. Yeah. And rhinovirus, you know, it's one of the very common cold viruses. So.
1: Well, yeah, cuz the reason I'm asking is cuz I remember when it first came out, you know, we thought it came out of a lab and it was this new thing and you I went to buy Clorox wipes and it says helpful for the coronavirus. And I'm like, how did it know? How did they know that quick, you know? And they, no, they've it's always been able to help the coronavirus because that's the common cold, I guess, right? I mean I did or something like that. Yeah. But, so
2: Absolutely. And you know what's so great about, about the SARS CoV two or the coronavirus that causes COVID nineteen is that it's relatively easy to kill, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you just need to use a little bit of alcohol or soap and water and and it doesn't I mean, remember how And don't you remember, too, about how fearful we were about surfaces and, like, we were thinking about we had to, like, (laughs) wipe down our groceries and had to keep the mail in the garage. And that's really not not thought to be a common way that people get it. It's really, like, people, it's the respiratory droplets.
1: Yeah, and that's crazy because I do remember I was worried about home delivery of meals or, yeah, FedEx or all those things. I remember we, sure. I was asking you those questions. Well, I, I, I know this is a very hot topic in a lot of areas, the mask. And we we may end up yes. going through the break on this and have to come back and talk about it again. But I've had so many conversations. Just to be candid, I am not a mask person. I don't like them. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just last time you said you suggested it so i did it for a little while and then i stopped again because i i'm just i'll do it for people around me but when i read about the microns that the coronavirus is what the mask does and that you know people most people dr Reisinger wear the same mask over and over doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose because isn't that mask itself getting contaminated from the outside and they're touching it? Or am I missing something there?
2: Well, you know, of course, everyone should be washing their masks or whatever, you know, from time to time, you know, between uses, but we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. (laughs) But like I, like, like we said, this, this coronavirus does not live on surfaces very long. And we don't really think that that's the way that it's transmitting, from one person to the next. Mm. The only thing that I would tell people is that you need to let the masks air out. Like mm. my, my mom and dad put, we're putting them in plastic bags and I was like, Oh my gosh, no, they've got to breathe and dry out, yeah. you know, in order for them to be safe. Cause if you stick them in a plastic bag, they're probably honestly going to mold and they're just going to, ew, that's just not, we just know that low humidity and airing things out is a way to kill stuff. So, you know, if you want to throw them just in the dryer, that would be another way too to kill whatever on it. Or just let them dry out because you know there's moisture from our breath. Mm-hmm. So if you just if you just put them in a place, like I've seen people kind of hang them on their the rearview mirror in their car. I think that's a great place because the sunshine, the UV light, you know, will shine on it too. It doesn't need to be super scientific, and I don't. I just really don't think that the virus on the outside of the mask, when you're taking it on and off, I just don't think surfaces are a real way that it's being transmitted. Of course, you know, wash your hands when you come home, but that's really to protect you against gastrointestinal illnesses and the flu. Like, the flu is a totally different deal.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
2: that thing is transmitted. Like, if someone... Sneezes on their hand and then touches a the doorknob. The flu can stay on that doorknob a long time, and we know for sure that that's how people get flu. It's called through fomites. Oh. But that's we're not seeing that with with this coronavirus. So I wouldn't be fearful of it living on my mask or anything like that. I would just make sure that other things are going to grow on your mask if you don't let it, you know, air out. So that would be my only suggestion. Well, I, and then you know, I go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going well, to, I got a enough. question about about the mask. For somebody that heard that uh, there was um, a study done with p- people who were positive COVID and found that 85% okay. of the group reported they had faithfully worn their mask in the weeks leading up to it. and And, and, and the whole point of the article, and this is the thing that gets confusing is because, People, I think people on both sides have agendas one way or the other. I mean, like mm-hmm. that you, you've got pro-mask people that are pointing out all the things why you should. you got anti-mask people that are pointing out reasons they shouldn't. And I'm just wondering, what is the medical community saying right now regarding masks? The
2: medical community is saying that masks, well, I would say the people that wore their masks 85% of the time, they... Who's to say that they would not have had a more severe case of COVID-19? Because we never promised that the mask is going to 100% prevent you from getting SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. That's never been the point of having a mask on. But the point is, you know, when you cough, sneeze, or talk, you're emitting respiratory droplets. And so, I mean, I've noticed it myself that I spit on people, you know, when I talk, especially when I'm super excited. Uh And so wearing a mask can just help control those droplets and keep those droplets to myself. But there has been some theories and some people that wonder if it doesn't protect you in a small way, because when you are exposed to to someone else that has COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus, that maybe you're not getting as large of an inoculation. Remember I talked about that, That we think the more severe cases possibly are that someone that's been exposed to the large bolus. Do you remember hearing about those Chinese doctors? Well, one in particular who was sounding the alarm bell about Uh COVID-19 and he was one of the first physicians on the front line and he died. He was a young, you know, healthy Position, but the thought is, he was exposed to so much virus over and over and over and over again that it just overwhelms his system. So I do think I do think that there is something to be said for having a mask on to protect yourself in in a small way from just the number of particles that are coming into your. Eyes, well, not your eyes, but your nose and your mouth.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I, I've got a great analogy, I think, and I'll get you to affirm that when we come back because we're going to our second break. Hey, you're listening to Dr. Christy Reisinger, and we are talking about COVID 19 and talking about uh, different things, trying to separate. Back from fiction. She's got a great YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube and type in Dr. Christy. That's with a C H R I S T Y, Reisinger, R I S I N G E R. We're going to be right back with more from Dr. Reisinger on SWAT radio. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. Uh, we have Dr. Christy Reisinger. Hey, Dr. Reisinger, you like our Christmas music? <laughs> I do,
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hope trying to bring a little joy <laughs> this time of year. It's been a rough year for a lot of people. Well, I was thinking as you were sharing about the mask, and to be honest, I had not thought about this aspect, but I was thinking about an analogy. It's kind of like if you eat some bad food if you eat a little bit you get a little bit sick if you eat a lot you get a lot of sick and and is that exactly is that pretty accurate to the the inhaling inhaling the droplets that are you know the COVID-19 droplets or whatever I mean if you get a big batch there's a much more likely chance that you're going to get pretty bad symptoms the more you get
2: I mean That's what we think, you know, there are also interesting studies on people that are super, super spreaders. I don't know if you've ever heard that term Uh where it's like one person's responsible for 30% of the infections, you know, or a very small number of people are super spreaders. And so the thought is that these super spreaders for some reason tend to spew out more virus with even with coughing or with talking or just, you know, breathing. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where these theories have developed and their theories. I mean, it would be so hard to prove, like how can you ever prove the amount of inoculation that you got is equal to the severity of your infection. There are just so many different nuances and, and issues that are related to it as well. Like, including just your overall health.
0: But mm-hmm.
2: that is one of the theories that I think is, it makes sense, right? Like just how you talked about with viral gastroenteritis. It's like if you have just one small item, you're kind of sick. But if you eat a whole platter, yeah, I mean, yes, you're going to overwhelm your system a lot more.
1: Okay, so. well that well that's yeah that that help as helpful to me. Well, I I have a couple of questions that have come in. Here's one of them: um, Pregnant women are they at greater risk to get the virus uh, because they're pregnant, or or are they just as much at risk as anybody else. I mean, like, does that increase their chances of uh, getting it?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting when when we're pregnant, when women are pregnant, your body, in order to not attack the baby, puts you in in, a, in an immunosuppressed state. It's very mild, but that's one of the one of God's designs for. You have this foreign thing living inside of you,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: your body tamps down its, its immunological response. Because otherwise it would be like, alert, 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 <laughs> there's something in foreign inside, and it would attack the baby, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why when women with rheumatological conditions mm-hmm. who have an overactive immune system get pregnant, their rheumatological conditions often are better. While they're pregnant because it just sort of tamps down that overactive immunological state. So if you can consider that a pregnant woman has a, is basically in a very mild immunosuppressed state, Mm
0: -hmm. then
2: I would say yes, women are that are pregnant are tend to be a little more at risk than others, but I wouldn't put it in the same category as just plain old obesity, as heart disease, as high blood pressure, as age. It's not the same level of risk, but I would say I would put that into an, a slightly increased risk category for mm. sure. Mm.
1: So. Well, um, uh, another question that has come in is that some people who have relatively mild symptoms initially end up having significant, um, either gastrointestinal issues, kidney issues, other organ issues later, like a few months later down the road. Have you heard of that or or is there any clinical studies or anything coming out about that? Have you heard about that effect? Uh, I don't know what they call it. I I heard them refer to it as like a COVID after effect or something the other day. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you aware of that?
2: I am, and and they have a they have a name for them now, and they're called the COVID long haulers. Mm-hmm. And we don't know a lot about them because you know it's just all so new. But yes, that's exactly what they are. You've described it exactly. It's like people that had a relatively mild initial infection, but then it turned something on inside their system that. There is an ongoing immunological attack on their system that won't shut off. And it just lasts. And it can be things like brain fog, fatigue, palpitations, chest pain, shortness of breath. The main ones really are fatigue. And, I, you know, I've heard people talk about neuropathy, like their hands and their feet being on fire.
0: Mm-hmm. And so there,
2: there can be a wide range of symptoms, but that's why when people are like, hey, I don't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine because, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, you know, I'm going to recover just fine. And I say that is true for the vast, vast majority, but there are people like these long haulers. They tend to be young women, um, just as, as a very generalized, like in their 30s, 30s to 40s, That were very healthy they for some reason something turned on and it it just these effects linger and linger and linger we don't know how to treat it we don't know when it's going to go away sometimes they do recover it just takes months and months you know for them to feel like they're fully back to themselves and some people it hasn't gone away and it's been months and we don't know when they will go back to being the way that they felt before
1: you know. so. well, one of the studies I saw was with Mount Sinai and uh hospital um in New York, and they were what they were saying is that the the average age of those long haulers to use your term was like in the twenties to forty age range, so they were younger people yeah. they, they were not older people so
2: right right, and isn't that that's just so interesting and part of me thinks well, maybe it's because their immune systems were really healthy and, you know, they, they were exposed to this virus and something, they have some sort of genetic genetic predisposition that when they're exposed to this particular, something in this particular coronavirus, something clicks on. And because they have such a wonderful immune system, their immune system's like, okay, let's go after it. But it just, it doesn't know when to turn itself off, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and so that's why their their infections were really mild, because they've got a wonderful immune system, but now you're like, okay, enough already. Like, I don't need you to continue to, you know, fight this mysterious illness that's no longer here. I need you to turn it off. You know, I need you to, to... so it, it, it feels rheumatological in a way where you have this overactive immune system that's fighting something that it doesn't need to fight anymore.
1: Well, you know, you talked about the vaccine, and I know there's a lot of conversation right now about should I get the vaccine, should I not get the vaccine, and can you explain just a little bit, like, I know with vaccines, they actually give you some kind of, at least my understanding is you get a dead virus, right, is that what most vaccines do, or a live virus in you, with the flu sometimes, I think, uh, I'm not an, a medical expert, but that was my understanding. Is that pretty close to what they do when they give you a vaccine? They give you yeah. A little so they,
2: there are a lots of there are several different types of vaccine. And in the past, what we've done is that we've either we've attenuated it, meaning that we made it less harmful and given it to you, or we've inserted it in another type of virus and 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 enter, it's entered in your body that way. Um, but it's it's not as strong or that we've killed it altogether. and we've you know put it in, into your system um, and your body responds to the killed virus. So those are those are typically how viruses ha- or uh, vaccines have been designed in the past. They, they use the actual virus, but they change it in some way or they, they make it not as deadly or as harmful. Or they take a piece of it, or they make it, or they they kill it all together, and the body responds to that virus particle um, by you know making antibodies. Hmm. Well, now this new RNA vaccine by Moderna and Pfizer, those are the top two front runners. It's very exciting. It's it's technology that's been around for a while, but because vaccines usually take 10 years to make we've just never seen you know the ones that were under like the one against Ebola I think is also an RNA vaccine and it's just it's been you know they've been working on it for years and years and years and so the technology's been there they've just never been forced and they've never had the funding because no one's going to want to develop a vaccine and spend all this money if they don't have a buyer yeah so what what the United States has done and what President Trump did is he was like, "I promise Pfizer Moderna that we will buy two hundred million I'm just making up yeah. numbers two hundred million doses of the vaccine that you develop if it's shown to be safe and effective and so with the promise of purchase, these companies went into work speed, you know with because they had Cash and they had a buyer. Mm. So they were highly, highly motivated to make this technology work. It's been around for a while. I think I think there's something misleading, like, oh, they just... No, it's been around for a while. It's just been slowly being worked on because, gosh, you know what, you know, it's so expensive to do it, and there was no no known buyer. So what this is like, what, what this vaccine is like, and I heard this described, and I thought it was such a, an interesting such an interesting analogy it's that this it's an rna vaccine meaning that it is like a metal template that then you make a record off of and then you put that record inside your system and your system actually then produces antibodies against this messenger rna that's been placed inside and i'm not explaining
1: it very well no no that's okay well well, listen we're gonna come back we got our last break because i do want to talk to you about it because i've heard a lot of people say i'm not taking it i've been one of them so when we come back i want you to convince me why i should okay? okay okay we're gonna be right back on swat radio with more dr christy reisinger we'll be right back on SWAT radio
0: when we finally
1: kiss how I hey, goodnight. this is Doug McCary. Welcome back to SWAT Radio. We have Dr. Christy Reisinger. And I want to tell you her YouTube channel again. Just go to YouTube and type in Dr. Christy. That's with a C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, Reisinger, R-I-S-I-N-G-E-R. And Dr. Reisinger, we so appreciate your time just to come on and be able to have somebody who is dealing with this uh, and be able to help us work through. And we were talking about vaccinations. And, you know, I know there's anti-vaxxers about regular vaccines like, you know, chicken pox and smallpox and other things that we all got growing up. I think my concern initially was if this thing came out of a lab, how did we create a vaccine that I feel like it's safe, you know, just a personal thought about it. But also I'm told by people, I've been listening to people talk about why you should, people say that a vaccine will protect those around us as well as ourselves. Could you speak to at least from a medical side about that aspect? And can you still get it? If you get the vaccine, is it like the flu? It just may lessen your symptoms. Can you address those two issues?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay. So the first one about why I am very pro vaccine, it's actually really close to my heart because my mom had a bone, had bone marrow cancer three years ago and received a bone marrow transplant and she's on, she's, she's doing well. We've had bumps in the road, of course, but, um, her immune system cannot she has not been able to get any vaccinations. So when she received a new bone marrow, it was as though her immune system was wiped clean. Mm. She has no vac. She has not received any of her vaccinations. So all of those childhood vaccinations and all the illnesses, you know, that she had throughout her childhood, were essentially wiped clean. And she she um, is very vulnerable to things like. Um, measles mumps, and rubella because she has not had her MMR vaccine mm. she's very susceptible to chickenpox and to um, just routine gross you know childhood stuff and stuff that we vaccinate against mm. because she's she her bone marrow is not developed enough for her to respond appropriately to vaccines We're hoping that at some point her bone marrow, new bone marrow will mature at the point to which she will have a response to vaccines. She could certainly get vaccines now, but they wouldn't have an appropriate response because her bone marrow just simply isn't mature enough Mm -hmm. to be able to produce the antibodies that everyone talks about. So I'm going to get the COVID-19 vaccine to protect my mom Mm -hmm. because my mom can't get one. She's not unable to do that. And you know, they're, they're unwilling to give COVID-19 vaccines now to pregnant women just because they just don't have an, a lot of data. So we're doing it to protect our pregnant sisters and friends mm-hmm. and daughters. Um, we're doing it to protect um, the really, really old and fragile and elderly that, you know, until they're able to get it themselves. Or maybe they're not going to mount a very healthy response to the vaccine. We just don't know yet. You know, as we age our bone marrow just isn't as, isn't as robust. Um, and our immune system just isn't as robust. So I'm doing it also to protect them. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I, that I feel strongly about. And I mean, I could talk about the other vaccines. This one's a little bit unusual because, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful. Infants and children really, and you know, have been, they still can get it of course, and they can still give it to other people, but, they're not dying from it like mm-hmm. what we see with other childhood illnesses. So I'm so thankful for that. We're not getting COVID nineteen vaccines really to protect our children because they're they're doing great and <laughs> they're able to recover just fine. You know, from this whole thing. So, um, and then what was your second question, Doug? I well, well no, I just, no, I just no.
1: What I was asking is uh, I, I, the second question was. You know, when you get the flu vaccine, it doesn't prevent you from getting the flu. It just lessens the severity. Is that what they're thinking this is going to do with COVID-19 as well? Well, This
2: is so interesting because we've seen, you know, the the data on it. I mean, I've heard them talk about how it has a 90, 90 plus percent efficacy that is shocking what what does that mean explain that to us
1: non-medical people what does that mean
2: so yeah so that means that 90 percent of the 90 plus percent of the time it's going to completely block um your ability to get COVID-19 like you're not going to get it that that but that's not true with the flu vaccine because it's only about, I don't know, forty percent efficacious year to year. You know, we have such abysmal because it we we're with the flu vaccine you're sort of guessing. You're guessing at what the, the influence is gonna be the next the next winter time and it, it it really mutates rapidly, which is why we need a new flu vaccine every year. But we we hope for fifty percent, you know, match, meaning that about fifty percent percent of the time it's going to match about half of the genetic code so it's you know you're going to like get a milder form of it but it's probably not going to kill you but but this 90 percent stuff that's i it's really unprecedented meaning that it matches the virus and it eliminates it you know it, it's able to produce antibodies so those antibodies match it find it and destroy it so well that you may not, even if you're exposed to it, you're not going to get it. And the data that I've heard about, I haven't seen any raw data, but they've given it to tens of thousands of people. And the number of people that have actually gotten COVID-19 after receiving the real COVID-19 vaccine, because half of them were given placebo injections, which was, you know, just saline, were minuscule. I want to say less than less than 100 Mm -hmm. or less than even 50 i mean a minuscule number of people after giving tens of thousands of vaccines have actually had a COVID 19 infection with symptoms i don't know if they were testing you know doing asymptomatic testing but i mean how that's amazing to me so i I, and like i said i need to do more research on how to how to how to State what 90% efficacy means, like what what does that mean in terms of getting it? But from my understanding, the vaccine prevents you from getting it. Like you don't get symptoms if you have the COVID-19 vaccine. But let me pause and say that the good news for everyone out there that's just really afraid and they want to see more data and they want to see it used is that you're going to get that data because there's going to be so many people in front of you to get it first. Like I'm going to get it first. And so you'll get to hear about my personal experience with it. It's a two, it's going to be a two shot series. Mm -hmm. So you have to get one vaccination and then depending on if it's Moderna, Pfizer or another one, I think you have to repeat it again in three to four weeks. And, you know, so you'll, there will be so much more data mining and experience with it by the time the vast majority of the public is able to get it in in the spring you mm-hmm. know spring you know i would say probably march april is when it's going to really start to be available to someone that's not a frontline worker that's not in the nursing home that's not a fireman that's not a policeman you know something like that
1: okay so so, so i just real quick because i i think we went to break you were talking about an RNA, right? An MR, MR, mRNA yeah. vaccine is what this is. Yep. Um, and again, mm-hmm. an, an mRNA is not like a, um, it's not a live viral, viral vaccine, like where you get a live virus or even a dead virus injected into you. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, but I, I've heard that before, but I didn't know what it meant. Um, I mean, is that something that's just injected into you that kills the virus? It's it's not the virus itself, like uh, with flu or other things. Do you know? So,
2: so these, so yeah. So let me just talk about the ways that that we've done it in the past. So, subunit vaccines are like hep, hepatitis B and the HPV vaccines, mm-hmm. um, and they are just a piece of the of the Virus. Another old method uses weakened or inactivated viruses, and that's like the the MMR vaccine, and the current influenza vaccine. And then there are several new methods that have all been used and all been tried, but only the messenger RNA vaccines are the ones that are currently being offered. But the first of the newer techniques is something using a viral vector, meaning that they use another type of virus to carry in an inactivated form of the um, SARS-CoV-2 and those are in production currently and we may hear about viral vector vaccines at some point so be on the lookout for that. Okay. And then there are the other type of new vaccines that we're seeing are the DNA or there are some DNA vaccines or messenger RNA vaccines but I'm going to focus really on messenger RNA vaccines because those are the ones that are coming into market. Yeah. And what they do is that they they deliver
1: We got one minute okay, too. I'm to
2: think about how
1: <laughs> that's do. okay. I know. Hey, they, that's all right. I know that may be more complicated than even people need to know. I just I'd never heard of that. And so you need to do I'm gonna encourage you to do a YouTube video explaining it for so people can go to your YouTube
2: Yeah, I want to for sure. Okay. I, definitely, I definitely
1: will, Doug. Uh, yeah, because I think uh, we only have a minute left, and I, I wanted to thank you for giving us time today because I know it takes time out of your schedule. And I want you to know we pray for you and your ministry out there through medicine, and thank you for uh, what you do, people like you who are on the front lines, and um, and we pray for your safety and pray God's blessing on you and your husband. Okay?
2: Thank you so much. It's
1: always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah. Dr. Christy Reisinger, go to her YouTube, and she said today she's going to work on the mRNA or whatever the vaccine is. Do one about the vaccine for us, would you? (laughs) please do that Okay. hey you've been listening to SWAT radio we had Dr. Reisinger if you want to listen to this or any past programs go to www.swatradio.com that's www.swatradio.com and go to the past programs and you can listen to Dr. Reisinger in fact do a search for R-I-S-I-N-G-R and you can listen to all her past programs they're all good and then go to her YouTube channel and uh, you can respond to her there and send her questions, and maybe you can get her to do a video, just like we encouraged her to do one about the mRNA vaccine. So thanks for listening. We're going to be back tomorrow talking some more about discipleship. Hope you have a good evening, and keep listening to SWAT Radio.
3: If you missed a SWAT Radio broadcast this week and would like to hear any show in its entirety, then go to SWATradio.com.